Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Thriller Crypto. Today, we are talking the vault is back. And then we got the Israeli cryptocurrency traders out there unwilling to play ball with the banking system. And then finally, in the main topic, after three years, we finally decided to do an inside protocol on Bitcoin. Yeah, chasing that clout, baby. Thriller Crypto, starting now. and girls from around the world <laughs> today is august 8th 2019 i'm car gonzalez and uh it's gonna be an exciting show today i can feel it i can feel the makings of a, of a great episode you just know these things i can tell <laughs> uh today we are talking uh inside protocol bitcoin we're gonna talk about that throughout the show we're gonna sprinkle in some stuff in there but first let's jump into the news Okay, so it looks like the vault is back. That's right. What if there were a mechanism that placed a time delay whenever someone spent Bitcoin? Okay, the idea has been around for a few years now, and for good reason. It's believed it could make it much harder for bad actors to steal funds from Bitcoin users. So how it works is basically someone holding Bitcoin primarily as a store value, like a lot of you people out there, could put it in cold storage or hold it offline with code that says it can be spent, but not immediately. The owner could set some predetermined time delay on an attempt to move the coins, but the fact that it has a built-in delay would give a true owner time to reverse a transaction. Not fork the code, reverse a transaction because the private information that had been compromised if someone tried to steal their crypto. Now, Malter Moser, Ita Ia, and Eamon Goonsire proposed this feature known as vaults as a way to better secure Bitcoin in 2016, but their proposal required a fork of the protocol code base. That fork never happened. That's right. But on Wednesday, Bitcoin Core contributor and crypto consultant Brian Bishop sent out a design to developers to accomplish the same thing using existing code. In an email titled Practical Bitcoin Vaults with Theft Recovery Clawback Mechanisms, he writes, Vaults are particularly interesting as a Bitcoin cold storage security mechanism because they enable a publicly observable delay period during which time a user could be alerted by a watchtower, cool name, that a thief might be in the process of stealing their coins. Basically, what Bishop's proposal is kind of creating is this unlocked period when initiated an owner could choose to react or not react, basically having a kill switch key. If the proper owner had initiated the transaction, he or she would do nothing because they actually did want to move the Bitcoin to a less secure hot wallet, for, for example. But if it was a malicious transaction that somebody was attempting to steal, the rightful owner could use another predetermined transaction to force the Bitcoin back into the cold wallet under the same time delay. It, it makes sense in theory. And what's interesting is there's a lot of cryptographic tools out there that allow you to do this very same thing 
just in the modern day age of like SSDs and, and hard disk drives, like we can already do this. It's just different because this is on a protocol level. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can actually make this happen. But when I read that this morning, it was like too cool. And it's not going to require a fork to do it. So hopefully they can push this proposal through. In our next piece of news, we have Blockstream has launched its own co-location mining service and already counts that Fidelity Center for Applied Technology and LinkedIn founder Reid Hoffman are customers. That's right. On Thursday, the Bitcoin and blockchain technology firm announced a new mining wing, Blockstream Mining, along with a better hash-based mining pool, Blockstream Pool. Led by cryptographer Dr. Adam Back, Blockstream is best known for its Bitcoin sidechain ecosystem, the Liquid Network. Blockstream Mining will host co-location services across North America with its most recent installation in Georgia. The announcement stated that 300 megawatts or 300,000 kilowatt hours of energy will be made available to customers. That level of energy supply would be able to power up to around 100,000 more advanced ASIC mining models such as MicroBT's WhatsMiner M20S or Bitmain's AntMiner S17 Pro. These machines on average have an electricity consumption of about 3 kilowatts per unit with a hashing power of around 55 terahashes per second. That could add about 6 exhashes per second to Bitcoin's network's computing power. Pretty cool. And investment app Robinhood wins license to operate in the UK. Yeah, congratulations, guys. Robinhood has revealed that it's appointed former TransferWise exec Wander Rutgers as president to lead its UK operations from a new London office. Rutgers said, today marks the beginning of a new chapter for Robinhood, and we're excited to take the first important step towards bringing our investing platform to customers in the UK. I'm thrilled to be a part of Robinhood in our effort to expand into a new international market. And in our last piece of news, Malaysian electricity utility raids premises of 33 Bitcoin miners accused of stealing $760,000 in power. That's right. TNB, one of the largest electricity suppliers in Malaysia, has raided 33 Bitcoin mining premises suspected of stealing power. The premises bypass meters and use electricity directly from TNB, which resulted in a loss of 3.2 million Malaysian ringgit, or $760,000. One location, for instance, was using 1,500 amp of unmetered electricity, while the meter was only showing 3 amp. The metered 3 amp was used only for one lamp and a suction fan. They paid a bill of only $52, roughly. They should have paid a bill of $25,000 a month. Come on, man. Go pay your bills. <laughs> pay your electricity bills. Gosh. All right. That's all we got for news. Let's jump into, that's right, interesting video of the day. Thriller podcast. Interesting crypto video of the day. So today's interesting video of the day is about Decred. Yeah, that's right. It's been uh, it's been a long time since we've talked about Decred, but after this week, uh, Coinbase announcing that uh, that was one of I think eight 
out of eight that they're looking at adding here over the next year. Um, a lot of people start taking notice. But there's been somebody who's been beating on this drum for a very long time, and his name's Murad Mohamedov. And he went on Decred's podcast to talk about Decred as a store value. I think a lot of investors in 2017, 2018, some even today, they di- quote unquote diversify their crypto asset portfolio by investing in privacy coins, coins with programmability, coins with higher throughput. But in general, sort of these three things, um, on-chain programmability, on-chain throughput, on-chain privacy, to me, they're essentially more like features rather than fundamental base, core, important sort of valuable foundations. And when I made a list of all the things that I think are the most important, particularly in the market for store value, I have personally concluded, at least in my opinion, that um, security and sort of everything that comes with it and governance are probably the two most important things. And the reason I like Decred is that it is differentiating quite significantly on both of these fronts, on, on both of these major fronts, as well as a couple of minor mon- minor ones also. And... Um, People like Adam Back and a couple of other prominent members of the Bitcoin community, they often say things like, if there's, any, if there's some kind of a technological breakthrough in, in an altcoin or in another project, and it's proven and it's safe, we can just add it into Bitcoin. Now, even if we ignore the complexities of doing something like that on the fly with Bitcoin's hyper-conservative governance model, I think um, I really like Degred because it not only differentiates itself technically, and we can talk about sort of the structure of its ledger a little bit more as well. But even more so, in my opinion, it's differentiating itself sort of in socio-political ways. Um, coming back to the topic, um, you can view these things not just as money, but also as accounting systems, but also as something like a digital government or a digital collective or a social contract. And the Decred social contract is, uh, ha- is, is quite starkly different from Bitcoin's. Um, investors have far more say. I mean, y- you could argue that the two strongest groups of stakeholders in Bitcoin are the devs and the miners. In Decred, it's more like a triangle between the devs, miners, and also the investors, the proof of stake uh, stakeholders, right? And um, all in, in main, there's many interesting synergistic things in Decred, other than sort of the very extensive differentiation across the governance and. Um, security capacities. I think the treasury is a very, very wise decision to have been implemented for the long term. I, I think it has a lot of potential. Uh, if I'm right about my decred thesis, I think there's going to be a tremendously large sum of money um, under the guidance of the decred community. And in the future, this could prove to be very, it could prove to be a very, very powerful sort of piggy bank for, for the project. Last but not least, I think the higher resistance to forks is something that's very, very attractive about Decred. As the space converges to three, three, four, five blockchains that are of importance, I think forks are going to be increasingly less acceptable, particularly on the investor side of things. I think they ruin network effects, and I think they're not the most elegant way of um, sorting out governance issues. In general, people kind of um, underlook this, but I think the combination of on-chain governance, the treasury, which is scarce, and fork resistance, as well as the checks and balances between the proof-of-stake and the proof-of-work components. All these things, in my opinion, work in synergy to promote cooperation rather than friction and forking 
um, when you compare Decred to other chains. And you kind of see that in the Decred community. It's, um, it's very passionate. It's very zealous, so to speak. And I think a lot of people find it attractive that compared to Bitcoin or Ethereum, you actually have a voice in, in, in Decred. As somebody who's staking, you're doing three things at the same time. You're voting how to spend the money. You are voting on major sort of software changes to the consensus algorithms. And you are also um, voting on every single block, which uh, is, is very, very powerful as well. My, my vision and my thesis for Decred isn't so much, as I've said, as a Bitcoin destroyer, but it is something that can destroy Litecoin, XRP, Bitcoin Cash, and frankly, all the other trash that exists in the in current top 10 uh, on CoinMarketCap. I think Decred is massively fundamentally undervalued. Litecoin essentially does nothing that Bitcoin cannot do. Uh, investing in Litecoin is just pointless. Decred, however, does, as I've mentioned, five to six things differently in very, very different ways. And I think... Um, as cliche as it sounds, Decred has potential is is much more likely and a much better digital silver than Litecoin is. And frankly, I think I believe in the next five to six years, more and more investors will be, will be realizing some of these things that we're talking about today. And uh, I think wealth will be flowing from altcoins, and as well as from outside of the space. And I think a uh, certain uh, minority percentage of the portfolio will be allocated to Decred, and I think Decred's market cap will consistently grow. I think um, I don't know if this if this market is going to be strictly winner take all. Even if that's the case, although I'm not sure, that will take at least 60, 70 years, in my opinion. Now, there's two things I'll say here. I think the market for money is around a hundred trillion dollars, and I'm not sure that or the world will be comfortable for only one asset to take all of that 100 trillion. I think there is space for two, three, or four. I would also say that these things aren't metals. Gold was essentially close to winner take all. These things are hybrid money software. And in general, software has strengths and weaknesses. The strength is that we could create something that's even more disinflationary than gold. But the weakness is that bugs exist and that uh, software is generally more fragile than atomic metals are, right? And um, I think for the time being, people will, a lot of people may be holding uh, a couple of other cryptocurrencies and crypto assets other than Bitcoin and be partially hedging, be it pure proof of work fears, mining related fears, uh, hedging sort of the Bitcoin's sort of hash algo, hedging the programming language used, hedging the governance model in particular, potentially hedging the lack of money. I think Decred will be a very wealthy blockchain going forward, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, if you sort of list all the differences, big and small, Decred essentially is different in like nine to 10 different ways. And I think it's sufficiently and extensively differentiated in all these regards for it to be a credible sort of competitor, or if not a competitor, something to simply also have in your portfolio. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna dive into Bitcoin uh, on today's main topic. Um, it's one of the main reasons why I kind of wanted to do this. It, it's it's kind of one of those things where, you know, when we created um, Inside Protocol as a kind of like a, a series within the show, uh, we were always gonna get back to Bitcoin, but we've always covered Bitcoin in different segments because it's just too big to kind of do for one episode. But uh, there are some things with the Bitcoin protocol that I think need to be discussed. And what Murad talked about there with uh, governance, 
uh, not built into the protocol is one of the many issues with Bitcoin. Um, well, will be more so in the future going forward for sure. So he's definitely right about that. Um, Decred having that built in from the uh, Genesis. Okay, with that, let's go ahead and get into Coin Talk. That's right. You got to talk about Coin Talk, baby. All the latest and greatest coins out there. I know you want to talk about it. <laughs> let's do it. for coin talk my favorite part of the day your favorite part of the day too i'm sure well today i have some amazing news to announce um, we're creating an audiobook that's right so good old car went through all the uh through the crypto kind of <laughs> past episodes and he realized something trying to navigate <laughs> to find certain main topics is tough and it's a really pain in the ass. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put together a uh, like different kind of groupings, uh, kind of uh, going to grab these main topics from these different episodes because we have over like 300 and something like 300, 314, 315. So I'm going to grab these main topics. I'm going to group them together to, to the ones that I think will make a really cohesive audiobook, which will be like six to seven hours long, depending. And then I'll throw some commentary inside of the audiobook as well, too. And maybe some behind the scenes, you know, of what I was thinking when I created it and what I got wrong and stuff like that. Maybe make some like, you know, some cliff notes, but for audio and just kind of build out these kind of audiobooks. So that way people that are uh, listening to the show can have a, a good understanding of, of what Bitcoin really is by having these different main topics discussed. Like you'll have the Inside Protocol Bitcoin, you'll have the Mount Gox episode, you'll have like all these big key episodes that we created Bitcoin year one, like these big you know, little chunks. And these were like 20, 30 minute chunks that we created, but they live you know, on these on these podcasts. But if we put them together, it'll be like six or seven hour audiobook. And then you have something really magical there that you can uh, give to a friend and say, hey, if you want to learn about Bitcoin, this is everything you need to know about what happened in the past 10 years. And I think I think that's a really good idea. So we're going to do that. I'm going to try to create one this weekend. And uh, ultimately, we're going to give those out for free to people that have the Thriller Crypto subscription. And the reason being for this is because they're supporting the show <laughs> and I want to make sure that they keep supporting the show. And by doing that and by doing this, I feel like that'll incentivize them to, you know, to hang on. <laughs> and that's not the only thing you get with this Thriller Crypto subscription. You actually get three more episodes a week. So you get a Thriller Insights, you get a Thriller Rundown, you get a Thriller Insider, which is like where I really deep dive into different subjects. And then you also get our Thriller Coin Talk show. That's right y'all's favorite show so um i think i think it's a good deal uh, it's only like seven dollars a month uh you can pay yearly if you want but um i think we already have like 35 30 episodes something like that already uh, maybe even more i'm not sure but it's it's pretty up there and we just started this here uh earlier in may so it's been going so far so good um and thank you to everybody who's already signed up like it's awesome i'm gonna try to get that done for y'all 
So that way you can have, you know, an audiobook you can listen to at work or play in your car and uh, have something to, um, you know, pass on to a friend maybe, you know, that is interested in Bitcoin or interested in Ethereum and, and wants a, an audiobook that has uh, entertainment, <laughs> but also like a really good solid foundation of what it is. Because I think, I think we did a pretty good job or I think we do a really good job. Uh, at least I try to <laughs> for the for the main topics. I, I take them very seriously. Um, not like the rest of the show. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I take everything seriously. Uh, but anyways, that's all I got. And then I uh, just want to say Bitcoin, baby. We're talking Bitcoin today, the main topic. I know it, it's it, it took a lot of time to research this stuff. And then once I started researching it, I was like, Car, you already know what you're going to say. <laughs> you don't need to, you know, do so do too much. There's a couple things I didn't realize that was nice looking over the protocol again. And there's a couple things I want to say about it, which, you know, is also good. But uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. OK, let's roll the disclaimer, because if we don't roll the disclaimer, you never know. We might have a crypto mom coming after us or the SEC or Clayton. Roll a disclaimer. Remember, Thriller's podcast does not give financial advice. He cannot tell the future, even if he thinks can. He is just some dude trying to save the world one Satoshi at a time. You know... Bitcoin is sometimes magical, right? It, it's like a unicorn. It could it could be something that um, you're just you're just not ready for. Um, earlier this week, we were, we were talking about um, you know Bitcoin's altered reality, right? Uh, it's something that no one here is talking about in the space right now. Um, and then that was on Thriller Coin Talk on Monday, and then on Tuesday. You know, I, I or on Wednesday, I'm sorry, I, I dove into what Bitcoin's black swan event was and uh, all these kind of touching points, you know, that, that we're covering here. And I'm realizing that the vast majority of people out there just aren't paying attention to just the, the stuff that's kind of just getting hidden away just beneath the surface. Right. But if you're obsessed and, and if you're research intensive and you focus and, and you really analyze this and you listen to everybody and you, you try not to hold any biases as best you can, you can really come out uncovering a lot. And um, most of the time that leaves us really early or it leaves us um, really foolish. Um, but this year, I feel like our bounty has been full. I feel like we are discovering things that, you know, the vast majority of the space discovers maybe a week or two weeks later. And that's OK, because ultimately this information is shared. It's out there. It's freely available for anybody to go out there and look at. It's just wanting to to look at it. Right. And so what we saw happen is the direct effect of the Federal Reserve and monetary easing and what's going on with China and the trade war and what's become a currency war, right? You know, these are all touchy political subjects that really don't dive into that much, but in actuality, it happens. And so you have all this- Nothing really out there that shows why it should have sold off. And confusion and hysteria, I mean- (laughs) 
and they can't hold on. So Bitcoin does the only thing it can do and it runs up. a thriller let me tell you (laughs) it was a crazy week it it really it really was and uh, the vast majority of the space is realizing how crucial bitcoin is to the entire monetary system the global monetary system not just not just crypto anymore it's being taken seriously they're looking at it dave ramsey can no longer go on the air and say and investing it in Bitcoin. <laughs> Come on, Dave Ramsey. Come on, man. Got to get with the times, brother. Okay, so we got Bitcoin at $11,876. Um, man, it's chopping it up, man, because it's hitting that 11970 mark, and then it's crashing back down to 1165 11, $11,400. I mean, it's, it's, it's just going back and forth, and, and whoever's... Whoever's trading those positions, man, they're making some some easy money right there. Just trying to tra- just chasing that volatility and trading it back and forth, going up, going back down, going up, going back down. And so I've been watching it this week and just kind of been doing that. It's it's easy money's being made out there right now. Uh, currently, right now, it's still down 0.4 percent for the day. Total market cap of three hundred seven billion dollars. And then we have Bitcoin dominance at 69.1%. It's interesting because if you look at Ethereum, it's at $218 and it's falling off. And then you look at something look at something like Bitcoin SV and it's at $145. And, I'm, and to myself, I'm thinking like, why would anybody buy Bitcoin SV? It, it, it's, it's, I mean, it, <laughs> I think, I think uh, Vitalik said it best. Just to still a bit of controversy for fun, I'll explain why I think he's probably not Satoshi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and then it's kind of weird because no one actually blames Roger Veer anymore uh, for, for bringing him on board with Bitcoin Cash. It's not Bcash, it's Bitcoin Cash. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah. So the whole market's red, basically, is, is, what I'm, is what I'm saying. And then right in the middle, you have Binance Coin at number six, up four and a half percent today. And it's at thirty one dollars. And why anybody would buy a security token from uh, if, if basically what I'm saying, if you're if you're an American and you're buying a security token from Binance, that's not even regulated in the United States. You're doing crypto wrong. Driving up here at all. How did it get here? How, how, it was already here. That's going to be everybody's excuse. <laughs> it was already up there. Uh, no, seriously. Like, no, seriously. I'm being all, I'm dead serious. I'm like, if, you know, <laughs> just, it's just hard to explain sometimes. But, okay, look at this. So Binance is not regulated in the United States. So... If they offer you a Binance coin and you purchase that Binance coin, because it is a security you're buying, it's a token, but it's a security for the exchange. Yes, you can use it in different ways, but it's still a security from the exchange. That exchange is not regulated anywhere but where it's at. So if you're holding Binance coin, you can trade it back and forth, but why risk it? (laughs) There is... 
I don't think, honestly, just by the way Binance has gone in the short, what, two year span that they've been around or th- was it three year span they've been around. I don't I don't foresee them being around <laughs> long term. The fact that they were scaling too fast and they, and they made so many mistakes and they still haven't hired a PR person there or somebody that understands marketing, you know, to investors out there. There's no but. I'm just saying they're losing they're they're losing customers left and right. And I think I've been like one of the few people that have noticed Binance was just not a legitimate company that you should buy crypto from for a very long time. I want to say since like 20 early 2018, late 2017, I just never used Binance. It's just it's just not it's just not it. Don't get me wrong. I think CZ is a pretty, you know, amazing individual. He sounds like he understands how to run a company and i'm sure he's going to be successful in his other endeavors and i'm sure he he runs the best exchange whatever but as them as a company and the way they've just kind of ran this whole thing it just doesn't yeah they have a transparency problem (laughs) i'm not talking about the kyc they lost i'm talking about transparency uh they they, yeah okay and then (laughs) And then, see, this is how you lose lose listeners, car. Then you have EOS at four dollars sixteen cents. Uh, it's down too as well. Pretty much everything is down. We got Tezos. It's up nine percent today because it showed up on Coinbase. That's right. It made its way to the Coinbase app, um, the Coinbase Blue app. And then, so it's a dollar fifty one. And we got. I think. I think that's it. There is really nothing else going on. You know, some of the some of the altcoins we're hoping to pump here fairly soon but we'll see i mean it, right now it's bitcoin's time it really is there's a there's a lot of people that want to see these altcoins rise and i'm with you <laughs> i'm totally with you with that uh but right now really is bitcoin catching fire and it's just it's just taking over the uh kind of the zeitgeist you know and that's a good thing it's a good thing for the whole ecosystem like bitcoin paves the way and then Everybody else kind of goes behind it. And it's just that's the way it's always been. And that's the way it'll continue to be until it's not. But for right now, that's just the way it is. Uh, Where do I see Bitcoin going here in the short term? I think we're I think we're going to go back down to to retest that, you know, ten thousand seven hundred dollar level. I've been saying that I I was really surprised to see it take off. But I think, you know, just macro fundamentals, just globally, I think everybody is starting to realize how important Bitcoin truly is right now. I mean, it's a revolutionary protocol. There's never been anything like it before, and it scares a lot of people, and it probably should. (laughs) It probably should scare a lot of countries, you know, that have, you know, these fiat printing uh, machines, right? Uh, So it's it's not surprising to see it take the main stage and kind of run with, with what it's been given. And it's only going to get better. We have the uh, ETF coming up here on the 19th. So that should be interesting. That's that's like less than a week. Well, less than one, two, three, four, five, less than like 10 days away. So we'll see where Bitcoin, what Bitcoin does. If that gets delayed, then it'll get pushed back to the 13th of October. But if it gets uh, if it gets approved, well, that might push us to that next level. And I'm, I'm still I'm still shooting for and I've been saying it, I still think we're going to get to at least, you know, earlier this year, I thought we were going to be at 10K by the end of the year. Like it felt like that was a safe bet. And ultimately, that's where that's kind of where we're, we're headed. Right. But I think I think it's safe to say now just kind of seeing the run up now, 
I think it's safe to say that we're probably going to see 17, 20K by the end of the year. I think we might have that again. I think that might be a pretty cool thing. And then that's going to lead into the halving for next year. And we'll see where that goes. But I think that's a safe assumption amongst a lot of people right now, 17 to 20K out there. Uh, by the end of the year. And if that's the case, we have Bitcoin right now at $11,876. If it continues to fall and it gets at that, you know, 10.7, 10.2 range, why would you not 2x your investment at that point? Um, so anyways, at least that's what everybody else is saying. At least that's what I'm kind of looking at too here, just personally, is that 17k, 20k Bitcoin at the end of the year. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be a Interesting August, that's for sure, because we can either go one of two ways here. And it's it's uh, I think we're I think I think I think a lot of people are ready for a pullback. But there's a lot of people that are going to find out a lot about what's going on <laughs> this week when they have time to look at all the news, because it's 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 massive. This appeal for Bitcoin. OK, with that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic today. We're talking inside protocol Bitcoin. Um, I think this is going to be a very important episode. I think this is going to be one of those main topics that uh, a lot of people are going to want to you know, go back to. Like I said, I'm going to try to create an audiobook for a lot of these inside protocols and a lot of these Bitcoin show, uh, main topics and put them together. And then hopefully over time, you can just have a good six, seven hour main topic uh, just on like Bitcoin and it'll be, it'll be awesome, right? Be easy listening curated easy listening is the best kind of listening okay
I will say right now, none of this is financial advice. If you're going to invest in Bitcoin, do so. At your own risk, not mine. And above all else, do your own research. Don't trust me. Don't trust me. I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. All right, I think that's it. I guess now we can begin. The concept of cryptocurrency can be tough to grasp. How does Bitcoin work is often the first question people ask themselves. The first attempts at securing communication through the methods of cryptography can be traced back thousands of years. From an Egyptian scribe in 1900 BC to Phil Zimmerman's 1991 release of the PGP. In the 1990s, a network of coders who referred to themselves as cypherpunks branded themselves together. They circulated their work on a mailing list through which they provided each other's code with feedback and built upon these ideas. It was a manifesto. They explored the notion of privacy. The release of encryption tools like PGP came at a time when governments were introducing mass surveillance. Cypherpunks aimed to safeguard communication and transactional exchanges. As part of the dream, they dedicated themselves to creating ways to perform anonymous monetary transactions. Through that dream, to create an independent, safe, and accessible system to transact electronic money, Bitcoin was founded by Satoshi Nakamoto. In Greek mythology, there's the story of Prometheus. And Prometheus had the audacity to steal fire from the gods and give it to man. And as punishment for that, he was tied to a rock where an eagle would eat his liver every day, and then overnight the liver would be regrown so he could be tortured all over again. Satoshi Nakamoto stole money from the state, not stealing the money itself, but stealing the technology of money and giving it to man directly. And if we ever find out who Satoshi Nakamoto is, the most likely uh, result will be that someone will either metaphorically or quite literally tie him to a rock for an eagle to eat his liver out, or her liver, or their liver. The day after Nakamoto is found, we will discover uh, from the media that this person is a criminal, a terrorist, a Muslim, a lesbian, a vegan, an anarchist, a punk, punk rocker, and biologically related to Justin Bieber. <laughs> I just enumerated, you know, ten of the most horrifying things I can think of, because that's what the media is going to do, right? Um, probably at the behest of governments. We got to realize that Satoshi Nakamoto disappeared just in time. Um, I think it's very wise to recognize that Satoshi Nakamoto is not a deity or a prophet, and that even though he, she, or they created a vision for what Bitcoin could be, um, Bitcoin is not theirs. 
and their idea of what Bitcoin could be or is is not divine truth. We are Bitcoin, and Bitcoin will always be we, not a single person. That's the whole point. And therefore, it doesn't even matter anymore what Satoshi Nakamoto thought Bitcoin is. In fact, Satoshi Nakamoto was mostly arguably unsure about whether this would actually work. They were extremely hesitant to think that this would work. Um, so the bottom line is that Satoshi Nakamoto can't tell us what Bitcoin is, because neither he, she, they, nor we yet know what Bitcoin will be. We are making history. We have to take responsibility for the fact that we are part of making history. And part of making history means that you have no idea what comes next, because it's never come before. And so you have to make your choices carefully, um, and with a long view into the future. So the stewardship of Bitcoin has passed to all of us. Bitcoin is a cryptographic currency based on ideas from Hashcash and B-Money which aims to be completely distributed, free of central authorities, points of control, and at least somewhat anonymous. A Bitcoin is a fixed value cryptographic object represented as a chain of digital signatures over the transactions in which the coin was used. A coin can be checked for validity simply by checking the cryptographic validity of the signatures that constitute its history. Each Bitcoin is owned by a Bitcoin address, which consists of a public key. The owner of a Bitcoin can create a transaction by signing an assertion that Bitcoins are being transferred from one address to another. A transaction may involve many input identities and many output identities. Occasionally, an extra output value will appear in a transaction for change to transfer back to the sender. Since fixed value coins must be transferred in an all or nothing manner, if the total of the input bitcoins exceed the value of the output bitcoins, the difference is interpreted as a transaction fee, which is paid to the player who successfully appends that transaction to the blockchain, a globally consistent log data structure. Although the protocol allows a receiver of a bitcoin transaction to verify cryptographically that the transaction is a valid payment order, it does not prevent double spending of Bitcoins. That is, while the receiver can verify that the sender did at one point own the Bitcoins being transferred, he has no way to know if the coins he is being given have been previously used to pay someone else. To prevent double spending, Bitcoin players engage in a peer-to-peer -peer protocol that implements a distributed timestamp service, providing a fully serialized log of every Bitcoin transaction ever made. Transactions are organized in the log into blocks, which contain a sequence number, a timestamp, the cryptographic hash of the previous block, metadata 
a nonce, and a set of valid Bitcoin transactions. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of, uh, there was a lot of interest in trying to, you know, the observation that Hashcash was a bit like digital gold, there were people that made that observation, I think, within a couple of days, but people trying to figure out a way to make that into a respendable electronic money. So both uh, Weidai's B-Money and Nick Szabo's BitGold proposed about the same time we're trying to achieve that same effect, so trying to make respendable money. And they were both contemplating that the way you would create the money is by mining it using Hashcash. So there were a lot of uh, ongoing conversations about you know, related topics, how to, how to build such a thing, what properties it should have. And so there were a lot of interesting conversations between so like 97 and 2002 on and off on the cypherpunks and cryptography lists where people try to figure out different ways to do things. And Peter Todd was uh, involved in some of those discussions and I'd kind of forgotten the his name. Like uh, So more recently I, I knew Peter Todd through Bitcoin uh, technical forums, but uh, hadn't put two and two together that he was uh, involved in those early discussions. So in 2004, how Finney uh, made another system for respendable hashcash, basically, which he called RPOW, R-P-O-W, Reusable Proof of Work. And his approach was to not make a distributed peer-to-peer system, but to make a centralized system, but do so using a TPM, so a piece of hardware that basically comes on like a PCI card, and it's it's a whole computer on a card, and it's tamper resistant, so it's covered in epoxy, so you can't physically tamper with it easily. And you can install software in it, and it will provide you with a signature that you can send to somebody over the network, which asserts that this is the software that's running inside this tamper resistant hardware. So you can sort of uh, trust it insofar as you trust the person operating it not to have been able to tamper with it without you know, resetting the keys and that the manufacturer who certifies the TPM keys is also somewhat trustworthy to not not certify keys that are running in software. And with that proviso, you could, you know, he had it operating for a while and you could do some work with Hashcash and send it to the server and it, it would exchange it for a CHORM electronic cash token. And then when you spent the CHORM electronic cash token, you send it to somebody else and they could exchange it with his server again, and you could be guaranteed that you know no coins would be created without valid work being provided, or without being swapped for a previous coin. So that was also cool, but uh, centralized. And um, as a similar kind of fate that happened to uh, David Chorm's company Digicash, they had. Um, the same, actually, it's the same protocol that Hal Finney used, this uh, centralized electronic cash protocol with, with extremely good privacy properties. So Digicash um, had implemented that and was you know, working on commercial adoption, uh, typically with financial partner, so that they would be able to, you know, people would be able to deposit 
money and receive coins and then claim the coins back afterwards. And in the meantime, spend the coins in an electronic cash-like way, user-to-user, -user, but uh, mediated by the server. Because to spend, you basically have to, the recipient needs to go to the server and swap the coin for a fresh one to prevent double spending. So DigiCash had um, set up a demo server and they said they would keep it running, uh, you know, for the long term, and they would only issue one million of the beta bucks. So people thought that that was interesting enough. They they would give you beta bucks by emailing, or send you a few. So people on the cypherpunks list uh, had a go at um, bootstrapping, you know, a floating value for that coin, uh, which was centralized and. I sold a couple of uh, T-shirts. I, I had made some T-shirts with uh, a compact implementation of RSA, which was uh, kind of a novelty and also technically illegal to export from the US at the time in electronic form because of uh, some export controls on cryptographic encryption software. So people figured that with a few thousand people trading things, one could arrive at a price, but uh, then the uh, server went offline because DigiCash went bankrupt. <laughs> so, and that, that happened, I guess, in the mid-90s before Hashcash and a lot of the other things we talked about. But um, I think people saw it as a lesson in the risks of centralized systems. And that's, I'm thinking, partly why Wedai and Nick Sabo talked about more decentralized architectures in the B-Money and Bitgold. But uh, Bitcoin was the next and uh, obviously by far most practical and live system that came after RPAL and B-Money, Bitgold and Hashcash and Chorm and Brands. Um, so, and uh, actually you saw that Hal Finney was one of the first people to try out Bitcoin. Um, he was somebody that would like to download software and try it out and gain an understanding by sort of playing with it and experimenting with it. So he wrote up a, a report about, you know, his experiences from using it and how it worked to explain to other people on the cryptography list what it does. And that started some early discussions about Bitcoin. Um, I noticed that, you know, from my perspective, the immediate problem that occurred to me was the limited amount of privacy that it had because uh, you could track coins as they're spent, basically. There's a little bit of ambiguity due to there being coins and amounts are paid out of multiple coins and it's not clear who the owners of coins are. You know, you can have payments with multiple parties paying in. So the kind of weak privacy struck me as an issue because uh, the previous centralized electronic cash systems had extremely strong privacy. So, you know, in some cases, privacy in the same kind of sense that a digital signature would be extremely hard to break, the privacy would be extremely hard to break. Some of them were actually, in principle, unconditionally private. So you know, even a computer in the very far future wouldn't be able to disambiguate coins. Um, 
And so it's kind of a surprising result, but uh, yeah, some of the protocols could do that. So Bitcoin has kind of, you know, had some privacy, but not much by uh, previous eCash protocol standards. And um, the other thing that I saw people talking about was scalability questions, you know, because the broadcast system, how well would that scale? Uh, you know, would the information and bandwidth usage grow and the storage use grow and that kind of thing. So I guess it took a while for the adoption to grow for that to be a problem. And also the people working on the uh, Bitcoin protocol implementation, like the main uh, Bitcoin reference implementation, uh, spent many years uh, super optimizing everything, like the uh, network protocols and the cryptography so that use less CPU and the memory usage patterns and the complexity of lots of different sub-algorithms. So they were able to uh, extend the period where there would be scalability problems by quite you know, several years, I would think. Um, so I think uh, ultimately broadcast systems are difficult to scale and you do want the ability to verify as a power user or as a concerned individual or as a business that you can verify the double spend database. Otherwise, you're essentially trusting other people. And we know what trusting other people looks like because that was the status quo where third parties can cheat you or close your account or freeze your account or that kind of side effect like you see with PayPal and banks and things. So um, the sort of public auditability overhead is a consideration. The success of the Bitcoin economy requires that Bitcoin's distributed protocols operate and remain stable. The success of Bitcoin relies on three types of consensus. Consensus about rules. Players must agree on criteria to determine which transactions are valid. Only valid transactions will be memorialized in the Bitcoin log. But this requires agreement on how to determine validity. Consensus about state. Players must agree on which transactions have actually occurred. That is, they must agree on the history of the Bitcoin economy so that there is a common understanding of who owns which coin at any given time. Consensus that Bitcoins are valuable. Players must agree that Bitcoins have value so that players will be willing to accept Bitcoins in payment. Each of these forms of consensus depends mutually on the other two. Consensus about the rules is a social process. Participants must come to a common understanding of what is allowed so that the rules can be encoded into the software that each participant uses. In Bitcoin, small groups and individuals can exert outsized power. Now, there are really three kinds of consensus that have to operate for Bitcoin to be successful. The first kind is a consensus about the rules. This is a consensus about things like, what is it that makes a transaction valid? How can you tell a valid transaction from an invalid one? 
Second, what makes a block in the blockchain valid? Which block should be accepted and which block should be rejected? Third, how the nodes in the P2P network should behave, how they should inter interact with each other and what kind of protocol they should use to discuss with each other, and more generally, all the protocols and data formats that are involved in making Bitcoin work. You need to have a consensus about these things so that all the different participants in the system can talk to each other and agree on what's happening. And so the first form of consensus that goes into Bitcoin is just a consensus about what these rules should be in order for the system to go forward. The second form of consensus in Bitcoin is consensus about the history. That is a consensus about what's in the blockchain and what's not in the blockchain. And therefore a consensus about which transactions have occurred. Uh, and once you have a consensus about which transactions have occurred, what follows from that is, of course, a consensus about which coins, which unspent outputs exist and who owns them. Uh, and so this consensus obviously uh, flows from the processes that we've talked about in earlier lectures by which the blockchain is built and by which uh, nodes come to consensus, the processes that we hope push Bitcoin toward a consensus about the contents of the blockchain. So that consensus about what's in the blockchain and therefore what the history is, is the second important form of consensus that Bitcoin relies on. The third form of consensus that Bitcoin relies on is just the consensus that coins are valuable. That is the general agreement that Bitcoins are valuable, that Bitcoins are a good thing to have, and in particular, the consensus that if somebody gives you a Bitcoin today, that tomorrow you'll be able to redeem or trade that for something that is of value. Any currency needs this, whether it's a, a fiat currency like the dollar or a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, you need a consensus that the thing has value. That is, you need people to generally accept that it's exchangeable for something of value now and in the future. Uh, and, and, and so that's the third kind of thing that Bitcoin needs. Um, now this, this form of consensus, unlike the others, uh, can be viewed as a little bit circular. In other words, the, my belief that the Bitcoins I'm receiving today are of value depends on my expectation that tomorrow other people will believe the same thing. It, it, um, so consensus on value relies on believing that consensus on value will continue. And this is sometimes called the Tinkerbell effect by analogy to Peter Pan, where it's said that Tinkerbell exists because you believe in her. Uh, the same thing is kind of true here, that the consensus that Bitcoins have value exists because of the consensus that Bitcoins have value. So circular or not, it's a thing that seems to exist, and it's important for Bitcoin to operate. Now what's important about all three forms of consensus is the way that they're intertwined with each other. Uh, and this diagram shows a little bit about what I mean when I say that. First of all, the consensus about the rules and the consensus about history go together. Uh, because it's the rules that determine which kinds of transactions can go into a block and which kinds of blocks can come into existence. If you agree on the rules, that is which blocks are valid, then it's possible to build a consensus about the blockchain and about history. Whereas without a consensus about the rules, then people are going to disagree about what's in the history and you won't be able to come to consensus in that way. So consensus about rules and consensus about history are tied together. In a similar way, consensus about history and a consensus that coins are valuable is, are, are, are also tied together. Consensus about history means that we agree on who owns which coins. And agreeing on who owns which coins is a, necessary, uh, is a necessary prerequisite for believing that the coins have value. Because if 
if there's not a consensus that I own a particular coin, then I'm not going to have any expectation that people will accept that coin form, from me in payment in the future. So consensus about history is a prerequisite for consensus that coins are valuable. But in the same way, the consensus that coins are valuable is needed to make the consensus about history work. Uh, and we heard about this in the earlier lecture when we talked about the incentive arguments, the ways in which the block reward that is built into the mining process creates an incentive for people to follow the, the expectations about mining. So the consensus that coins are valuable at what is what creates the incentives that allows us to get to a consensus about history. And so we have all three forms of consensus here which are tied together um, such that if any one of them failed, then the other ones would fall apart as well. And in a sense, the genius of Bitcoin, the genius in Bitcoin's original design, uh, was in recognizing that it would be very difficult to get any one of these forms of consensus by itself. Consensus about the rules in a worldwide decentralized environment where there's no strong notion of identity, that's just not the kind of thing that's likely to, to happen. Consensus about a history, similarly, that is a very difficult distributed consensus data structure problem, which is not likely to be solvable on its own. And a consensus that some kind of cryptocurrency has value was also a very difficult thing to put together. What the designer of Bitcoin and what the continued operation of Bitcoin shows is that even if you can't build any one of these forms of consensus by itself, you can somehow stand up all three of them together and get them to operate in an interdependent way. Uh, and so when we talk about how things operate within the Bitcoin community, uh, we have to bear in mind that Bitcoin relies on consensus, it relies on agreement by the participants, and that that consensus is a fragile and interdependent thing. Ultimately, Bitcoin is an electronic payment system based on cryptographic proof instead of trust, allowing any two willing parties to transact directly with each other without the need for a trusted third party. Transactions that are computationally impractical to reverse would protect sellers from fraud and routine escrow mechanisms could easily be implemented to protect buyers. Satoshi Nakamoto proposed a solution to the double spending problem using a peer-to-peer -peer distributed timestamp server to generate computational proof of the chronological order of transactions. The system is secure as long as the honest nodes collectively control more CPU power than any cooperating group of attacker nodes. Ultimately, with crypto, you can go have a ledger where what's happened, whether or not what's happened is true, is a matter of math, not a matter of people. Very different than the previous notion of, I have this set of accounting books, I know there are people attached, I am Barclays, you can go trust me to keep the books accurate, we'll occasionally do some audits, and everything will sort of work. And what I actually went and did at the end of that uh, hackathon was I made a little tool 
which was really actually aimed at conventional accounting to go say, well, if you have a set of books, can you go and prove to third parties that you've given them the only copy of the books? Am I giving you the one true record of what I actually did, not a cooked record that says I didn't take your money and I actually gave it to that guy? And well, why does this tool use a Bitcoin blockchain? Because that's what the Bitcoin blockchain does. You know, every single transaction you make is an accounting record saying, I had money, I can go prove it. I don't need to go prove it as me as a human being, just me as a set of two numbers, a private key and a public key. And I can go prove that I still had that money because we come to agreement in the blockchain, and now I'm gonna give that money to Alice. And the reason why this works still involves trust, of course, it involves trust in miners. You know, we have this group of people burning electricity, turning it into math problems. And if you trust that those people are using the algorithm in the right way, you can then trust that these transactions have actually happened. And that trust is pretty weak. Because currently, everyone in this room could, with relatively little effort, double check that entire process. Miners can double check each other. You know, this is really making auditing cheap, near zero costs, really. And what we have is a system that incentivizes truth. You know, if you are truthful, within the rules of the system, you will go and get that block reward. And whether or not that can continue, that's sort of another discussion. But the basic principles is the one thing we can all agree on is we'd like to have an accurate, truthful record of what happened. the Bitcoin network came into existence. Satoshi Nakamoto mining the Genesis block of Bitcoin, which had a reward of 50 Bitcoins. He embedded in the transaction of this block, some text. It read, the Times 03, January 2009, Chancellor on the brink of second bailout for banks and the world will forever change. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Inside Protocol Bitcoin. I had a lot of fun putting it together. And uh, to be quite honest with you, it made me really appreciate why I love Bitcoin so much. Okay, with that, let's get on to the end of the show.
ladies and gentlemen, on the Thrill of Crypto is Dunsies. Thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate you. Man, it's just amazing how the Bitcoin protocol is just so like groundbreaking on so many levels. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, if you guys want to check out any more of our previous episodes, head over to thrillerx.com. If you want to sign up for our free newsletter, thrillercrypto.substack.com. And then always buy Bitcoin and save the world. See you tomorrow. This is the end of the show. Satoshi at a time.